in the soap we've moved forward, forward back the curtains. I've been out, yeah, and I'm really, really drunk and I'm trying to sober myself up by eating something. Neon shocks the dark. Now I've got to shuffle along. Twist Club. Day calls, put out that light. The smell is evocative, provocative and erotic almost. It's just wonderful. Half a dozen planks. A meat one takeaway. Two dozen salt planks. Beef, salt beef bagel. Some salmon and cream cheese for the old lady. Mm. The smell of it, you're like, yes. <laughs> Twist, my dough ring, you need more flour and yeast, you shout. Four bags of uh, flour, normal flour, and uh, sugar, salt, and malt. And after that, uh, two packets of water plus uh, yeast and 20 minute mix. And that's it. Cannot be fascinated by a bagel. I found it very inspirational in terms of poetry. I, I feel that the poetic form known as the beku is probably one of the least exploited yet wonderfully round and potential poetic forms known to humans. I won't say to man, it's not gendered, it's for all people. Bagels for everybody. The Beku takes its name from the bagel, bei, which in Chinese means north, and ku, which is the ku of the haiku. And when you put those two together, you get beiku. It's a very small piece of poetry, has a number of syllables, and its distinguishing factor is that it has a hole in the middle. The nillable, rather, unto the bagel itself. Sand in my lunch filled roll, seafood served by a witch. Well, I have to say right now that the hole in the bagel is not the same as the hole in the donut. These are miles apart. The donut is a sort of a greasy, beefy interloper. The bagel is the aristocrat. The hole in the bagel is one of the best bread product holes you can possibly find. Oh, absolutely. But tell me, uh, what exactly are bagels? Well, if you will listen, I will give you the inflammation you want. First, I take a hole. Then I wrap around him some bread. Then I cook him in the bakery till he has only my crust. Then in my basket I put him. <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're so massive. <laughs> I walk and I never complain.
I look and I sing, and they call me the king of the Bible synthetic hot lane. I day after day. I'm on my way home, like I'm winding down now, I'm having my bagel and that's it, like this is the end of the night. Look, if you get a proper one, salt beef bagel, you can actually get a plain bagel and put some meat out of that one into that one and get two out of it, it's so good. I work for the council, sweeping the road, picking up all the rubbish after everyone tonight. I ain't finished work yet, it's in my tea bag. I ain't finished till 3 o'clock in the morning. It's not the end of the party, you know. Uh, now we, we will go to the fabric, I think so. Do I look like I've been clubbing? I'm working. I'm on my way home. <laughs> clubbing. Free salami. I've always come here since I was a kid. Best one round here. It's the only one round here. I mean, there's one next door, but that's crap. How much is that, darling? I'm working here. Many, many, many years, yeah. I'm too much busy. Plenty bar, plenty club here in this area. So the people coming from outside of London even. <laughs> Sydney, Sydney Torture was a very famous conductor and he worked in the early days with Willie Bergman. Uncle Sydney told me the greatest experience of his life was after a show, you go and get ready hot bagels from the bagel bakery at three in the morning whilst they were still hot on the way home from a gig and you wouldn't eat them there. You'd stick them under your coat because you'd only have a thin white shirt and a dark jacket and you'd stick the bagels under your coat and it would get, keep you warm until you got back to your digs. That's the true time to find out what bagels do to people. Wet wind, sky, gale force, bravest in the air, gull. Stepney Jewish Day Centre, Beaumont Grove. I'm a receptionist. I take their money and chat to them when I can. <laughs> when I'm not sat on my seat out there. <laughs> you want to see how they dress up? Have you seen them? Wonderful. I mean, elderly people dress up beautifully. And there's always something to do. Or someone giving a talk, you know. 
I class the club as, a, as my home in a way because I come here four times a week. I'm on my own. So um, I meet people. And uh, that's, you feel a bit isolated sometimes, you know. People say to me, why are you still in the East End? I said, well, what's wrong with the East End? Because all the Jewish people have left, haven't they? Mostly. Because I can't see properly, I know every step. I lived 62 years in my flat in Cambridge Heath Road, you know. Right there. Thank you. It's good for carrying, you know. Yeah, yeah. I missed you at Barbara Winters' thing. Sorry, I wasn't well. I was really worried about you. I was thinking, where is she? You were the one person I missed. I know you were. Nice to see you anyway. All right. Hi, my name is Sandra Saintus and I'm the centre manager for Stepney Community Centre. My background is that my parents are Jamaican and I do have faith in a Pentecostal kind of Christian upbringing. People say to me, where does the passion for the Jewish community come from, being a non-Jewish person? I don't know. I really, really don't know. I do believe in the one above. I really do. I've got a lot of faith in the one above and I do believe that everybody's been put on this earth for a purpose. And I feel driven to keep Stepney Community Centre open as it's the only service for the Jewish community in the East End. There is nothing in the East End for Jewish people um, apart from Stepney Community Centre. Everyone knows me in the organisation that if something's meant to happen, I'll say that was Bichette. It was meant to be. It was definitely meant to be. Shrap, yeah, you hear me say that because it's it's a nice way of describing how hard I had to go up and down somewhere. <laughs> so you'll hear me say that quite often as well. I didn't know much about the East End, even the Jewish East End, I'm ashamed to say. When I looked at what they went through from World War II and then the Battle of Cable Street and then they had the fight with the black shirts and everything else, they really, for me, for me personally, Jewish or non-Jewish, I feel they actually helped pave the way for the minorities. They really paved the way for people like myself to be here today and sit here openly and say, I quite freely can do this without anyone being racist. I can sit at their legs and listen to their stories like for hours and hours like a little grandchild by the leg of her grandmother just listening to the stories. Mixed. I mean, we had an Irish family living next door. They were lovely. But every Friday night the man would get drunk and knock on the door. He wanted to fight my dad. Every Friday. <laughs> Shrudel and cheesecake is an open house. Everybody used to come because they liked the cheesecake. I was in politics. I was on the council 10 years. My husband was the mayor of this borough. Dancing or jiving. But my husband was never a great jiver, but I was. <laughs> Not now. I can't even turn round. <laughs> Evacuated uh, the, those bastards. Uh, uh, we had to have house, we lived in strange people's houses. Oh, we had to cross the actor tour of Stone Art. And stories like these led to me 
putting together a Yishokar ceremony, a, a bat mitzvah ceremony for 12 women between the age of 45 and 98. It was a brilliant idea that was supposed to be just a little ceremony that got really, really big because it was sitting and getting through the rehearsals and making sure they had something to eat because the rehearsal had to be in the evening. And we did that for like approximately eight to 12 weeks, constantly rehearsing their part. And it became a very, very big ceremony. I cried that whole day just watching the 12 of them standing there they had to look a particular way for me. They had to wear the colours of Israel. So I had to be slapping up and downward green, looking for this blue scarf. They had to have the right kind of um, gift around their neck which represents Israel. I had the nerves, I had the tears, I had the passion, I had the anger. I did the whole work as if it was my own children going through their, their ceremony here. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, Marion, you're right, my darling. Good. She was fantastic on Abba Mitzvah. Oh, oh you're going back there again. Oh, <laughs> she was fantastic. Oh, okay. My son got the mitzvah. My grandchildren got the mitzvah, but I never. I thought it was only for boys, not for girls. It was the war. The war had just started when I was that age. It had just started, and we had so much on our mind with the bombs and everything. But then when this came up in the club, I was really pleased. I was really, really pleased. It was like a wedding, wasn't it? Like a wedding, it was lovely. Honestly, you'd never get any... The way she understands everything is wonderful. Really wonderful. It was amazing. That, was, that day was amazing. <laughs> She's one of us. I've got to get going now, but I'll see you guys before I go. All right? That, to me, was the best mitzvah. I could ever, ever, ever have done. They keep saying I've done a fantastic job, but I think I owe a lot to Jewish care for the way. Oh God, I didn't realize I was gonna get like <laughs> How the hell did they manage to sit here, laugh, look so amazing, 94, and still say life goes on. These guys here, I call them the Gunsamaka, the Godfathers, whatever you want to see them as, but they, they, they are what I would like to have as role models because they have the strength, they have the love, and they don't give up. Abraham Solomon, Abigail Moses, Michael. There's all sorts of bits of rubbish Isaac everywhere, Pringles, Isaac. tins and carpets in here and lawnmower remnants and goodness knows what else. Moses Hyams, Emmanuel Abraham, Michael Simon. Maria Harris. Mila I've never met any of the locals or I've been stood around here long enough but people Wolf don't really talk to you. Ephraim Harris. Simon Emmanuel. Isaac Levy. Joseph Levy. Samuel um, I can't remember which is the right key. 
but I think this could be the one. There's sort of fragments everywhere. You have to you have to be quite careful. It's quite precarious, and there's things. The ground is very uneven, which doesn't really help. By early doom, this came to show how sweet a flower in paradise could bloom. Peace to the soul. I was just surprised to see this sort of wasteland in the middle of quite a built-up area. It didn't make any sense to me. And especially you don't expect to see, a, I suppose, a cemetery right on the middle, well, almost on the street. I just came across it. I just looked to my left. I was like, you know, what is this? And then upon closer inspection, I could see that it was a Jewish cemetery. Eliezer Ben Kai Misha Naftar Biyom It's just hard to imagine it as a, a full working cemetery. There was over 500 people there, so you can imagine how crowded it was. It makes it even more important that they should be remembered somehow. March 1920. Dear Mr. Emmanuel, the burial ground in Bancroft Road, Mile End, of the late Maiden Lane Synagogue is in a ruinous state. has not state, been brought to your notice before. Steps will now be taken to remedy this state of affairs, thus doing our duty to those that sleep in the Moved by dust. a desire to avert a public scandal and further by that feeling of respect for the ashes of the dead. The cemetery was owned by the Maiden Lane congregation and they were based in Covent Garden. And it's rumoured that they were a lot of market traders from the Covent Garden market. You can just sort of feel the, the richness and the vibrancy of that time. And you can imagine the sort of scene of a market, um, the buying and selling which actually marries quite well with the East End because where I live there's always a market every day and there's proper um, cockney banter and I quite like that. I think Maiden Lane closed down in the 1920s and this cemetery shot in 1923 and after that nobody would really fully take responsibility for it politics of the day, the fact that there was a war, that it was left to just sort of deteriorate, I suppose. And nobody really wanted to spend the money in a cemetery that was obviously had been shut, has been shut for so long. I've done a lot of my own family re research and I'm quite passionate about it. You know, I've got family that came from Poland and I tracked down the shtetl they were from. And then I discovered that basically 
there is no cemetery left in um, Rassius where they're from because um, it was destroyed and I suppose there's a sense of loss that I'll never be able to know where my great-grandparents were buried and there's no, there's no way, ever way of finding out because there's no records either. Bernard Winkle Ernest Lazarek Phoebe Emanuel It sort of touches a nerve because it seems similar in some ways and in modern day Britain this shouldn't be allowed to happen that a place is just left into incomplete abandon If I give, give life to these individuals it'll give me the opportunity to commemorate other people's great grandparents that are, are resting here Robert Lyon Moshe Moch Philip Phillips, Martha Abraham, David Levy. The next station is Green. We had a timber hung up on the uh, wall in the yard. And on a Friday night, they would bring that in from the, uh, from the yard. Friday nights, used to have a bath, Roman Road bars. That was just across the road. That was a weekly visit to the bars. And you'd have a fire, and they'd put it in front of the guard and uh, fill it up with water. They had to boil everything in those days. The same bath would go in one after the other. And they always called me the clean one because I always was ready for my bath first because I wouldn't go in after the other. as well. One day a week they used to have two women and used to go in there and they had to strip and they'd put you in the bath, wash you over quick and put you out and off you went back to your canals. I was waiting to have the bath. It used to be always the same notice. It used to be there ages and ages. At Bow Police Court last week, a man was fined two and sixpence for stealing a towel. Beware. <laughs> but you, you wouldn't think of stealing their towels. They were so rough. I used to take my own soft one, you know. I always remember you get more number five, please. More number You've been in there long enough. Get out. <laughs> and they start letting you water out so you didn't have an option. God help you if you washed your hair. You'd be in real trouble because you weren't supposed to wash your hair there. Uh, it didn't cost very much. See, people managed. It was what you were used to, you know. You've been in there long enough. Get out. 
If you want them a petticoat lane bargain, not three, not two and nine, not half a crown. If you can do with those this morning, two shillings for the two. Over there, two, just one moment. Keep your money in your pocket. I want to give you Mike Stern petticoat lane value. Not even two shillings. Charge that lady 18 pence. You're satisfied, madam? You are. Thanks very, very much. Charge the lady a I'm not asking you four shillings. I'm not asking three and six. I'm not asking three balls. Please take your money out. Churchman cigarette cards issued by the Imperial Tobacco Company of Great Britain and Ireland. I won't charge you ten quid. I won't even charge you eight quid. Here, I'm going mad here. I'm going mad. A series of 50. I love his patter. Number 41, Mike Stern. Sounds familiar. Street seller, market trader called Mike Stern. Oh, Mike yeah, Stern used to sell these knickers. Do you remember him? Yeah, that's right. They were all on the what's the name? Schnorrin. <laughs> One of the greatest attractions of the market is Mike Stern, a petticoat lane cheap jack noted for his remarkable ready wit and colourful costume. Yeah, I had a stool in the lane. He sold uh, linen stuff. And I also think he sold ladies' knickers. He's still alive. He never stopped jesting and joking. People loved him for that. He was so well known. Oh, he was a handsome looking man, that's about all I could remember. I knew his wife. Just watch him auctioneer was wonderful. You never see anyone auctioneer like Mark Stern. I'm not asking you four shillings. I'm not asking three and six. I love his patter. I'm not asking three bob. He's a fantastic entrepreneur. He left his wife and he was with somebody else. Really? He was able to charm people. They've just got that gift. And as soon as his stall is opened, the crowd collects, sometimes just to hear him recite extracts from Shakespeare and sing French songs. He could sell like no one could sell. He could sell snow to the Eskimos. Business was slack. His friend was saying, Yeah, I'll have one, I'll have one, and, and that would set them off. He flourishes his sword to encourage his buyers. The bloody idiots is the bomb. You know what they say? There's a mug ball every day. Right? Now, where can you buy that for the money? You tell me. Right. 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 
And it was all for the working class people from Pedicot Lane. Around the union down in the in the market. Any like uh, thing going on in Pedicot Lane, you you go to him and he'll deal with it. He would deal with it. He was a comedian. He should have gone on the stage. Really, that was his metier. It was a laugh watching him. It was a, like going to a show in the afternoon. It really was. Remember, I shan't always be here. When I'm dead and forgotten as I shall be and sleep in dull cold marble where no more mention of me must be heard, say I taught thee, Mike Stern, who once trod the ways of glory to over there.